Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Good day and welcome to Extreme Common Sense with your hosts, Trisden and Ray. We hope to leave some of the social polarization behind and dig into the gray area middle of society and politics. When the far left and the far right hate us, we will have succeeded. Folks, welcome back to Extreme Common Sense. This is a pretty special show, mostly because Ray is still alive. Ah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank Ray, you. I've got some questions. I think. Let me check. Let me check my pulse. Let me check. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yes. Very good. So let me tease our guest coming up. We're going to have a really fun guest. Uh, Emily Leducer, gosh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, is going to come on and talk about her political experience here. She's in, uh, She was on town council uh, in uh, the town of Berea here where we're at, and, and she was quite the lightning rod. But before we get to Emily Ray, <laughs> you, you survived uh, heart surgery. Well, they technically don't call it surgery, so it's called a catheter ablation. It's a way to, um, I guess, combat, for lack of a better word, atrial fibrillation, which is the most common heart arrhythmia, afflicted me, or they diagnosed me about three years ago. I'd been on medication, and it was controlling it pretty well. For whatever reason, this past summer, it decided to uh, really progress, and I've got a wonderful local cardiologist, but I went to Cleveland Clinic, second opinion kind of thing, and I mean, you just can't, um, you, you can't say, you know, it's the world's number one heart, or the country's number one heart institute. My wife went up with me, and Patty referred to it, and she meant this in a good way, as the Disneyland of healthcare. It's like, it's just incredible what they do, the number of facilities, the doctors, the way they treat you. So they did a catheter ablation at Cleveland Clinic. I spent about three days, one night in the hospital, one one night, um, they ask you to stay in the hotel at your expense uh, and then check back in. So it was about a four-day deal. But, yeah, knock wood, I'm feeling pretty good, Tristan. So I know the last show, because I listened the other night, I was talking about it, with, and I could hear the trepidation in my own voice. And now I'm glad uh, almost three weeks later that it, it's out. Now, I actually followed that up with a case of COVID. And I don't know if we're going to let our listeners in on the fact that we are actually not in the studio together. Yeah. Well, I, we are doing this sort of zoom wise, yeah, right? I wondered. Yeah. We're using uh, today is the first show we've ever done like that. So as opposed to the normal fun that we always have in the studio together, we're actually doing this uh, thanks to Troy on the Riverside app. So yeah, so we're not actually sitting next to each other today, but hopefully the sound quality is still pretty good. But yeah, tell us a little bit about right. the COVID, man. That's nothing like having a heart uh, procedure followed up by some COVID. Right. And I called up there and they said, you know what we, cause you know, you got, you, you worry. I mean, COVID is a real deal. And so they said, no, I mean, there's nothing that we did that would compromise you any further. Just do what you need to. So actually what I did was I went and I got that antibody treatment um, a week ago, Monday, which was administered via four shots. It used to be, it still can be an IV, but it's uh, basically synthetic antibodies that they put into you, which help in theory. Um, but my son and I had it together. I think the little rascal gave it to me. Uh, Raymond lives with Patty and, I and myself, and he was actually, he's 25, and he was actually maybe 26. I need to get that right, 26. He was actually sicker than I was. He was running a fever, cold chills, complete loss of taste and smell. I mean, he was he was struggling. You know, never thankfully got to the point of hospitalization, but he was a sick young man. I fortunately never had much more than, you know, head congestion, a bit of a headache, uh, a little bit lethargic, but um, it, it was – it was a nice two-week break, but honestly, Tristan, I was getting a little batty, and I went into work a couple of times early with a mask on to do some things and didn't want to subject any of the staff. But, um, you know, I'm still technically testing positive, though I've been 16 days now. Now, another thing I learned is there are people who can test positive for like 60 days. That's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, my grandmother had it, and same kind of thing. She tested positive for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know if there's a lot of science on if you're still testing positive, if you're still contagious, or if you've had it for that two weeks, if you're just considered okay. I, you know, I, and I'm with you, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, right now, even the scientists don't know. But Lucas, who I work with, he's he had it. He's been vaccinated. We're each wearing a mask, and he said he's fine. We're, we're 10 feet apart in the office. 
you know, come in because I can kind of stay in the office and do whatever. And I don't want to subject staff any more than I wanted to sit in a small studio with you and Emily today. Because I want to try and be fair with all that. That's why we're doing it this way. But, um, you know, do my best to avoid people. I just want to see that darn negative test. Have you ever done the home test? There's two little pink lines. Well, there's one pink line that's the um, sample, not the sample. That You know, they got that name for it. Um, but then if a second one shows up and they make very clear that, regardless of the faintness like if you see any bit of pink under your under your control line you're positive and i took it this morning and it went they say give it 15 minutes first five minutes nothing nothing i'm like oh finally and then patty goes oh i see a little something i thought she was teasing me i'm no oh damn it there it is so still technically positive yeah and it's not. Fun. Yeah, that stinks. And also, I didn't want to jump in a, a small studio with you today either. I've missed it. You know, no, I'm vaccinated and boosted. I know you're vaccinated, probably about to get boosted now, I would assume. And- well, I got those antibodies. So they say you got to wait 90 days before you get the the the, uh, the booster. But the antibodies, you know, are, I hope they're in there doing whatever they need to no do. No, was so. your son vaccinated, I assume? He was. Now, I'll tell you one thing, and we will get to Emily, but one thing interesting, and make of this what you will. So it was about the 1st of November, and I had this procedure at Cleveland Clinic. I was thinking other things. Patty said, I'm going to go and get my booster today. You want to join me? I said, no, I got all this. I'll do it after I get back from the heart procedure. All right, cool. And Ray was busy. He never got. He was vaccinated in the spring, never got the booster. Patty lived with the two of us for the entire time. You know, we wore masks in the house, but you're in the house together. Never got it. So was that the booster? I don't, I can't, who can say definitively, but I think it didn't hurt her. Yeah. So she's still negative. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Living with two people with COVID, you know, literally living with us each day and, and never, you know, never contracted it. Yeah. So there's a little plug for the booster, you know, and, and you mentioned, I think so. I think yeah, so. And you had mentioned your son getting it, you know, uh, worse than you. And, and I've got a neighbor right now uh, with a daughter who is 16, man. And she's been to the hospital a few times with it already. Oh, up no and kidding. down. I mean, this is something that, you know, this is not picking out people of only a certain age. Like this really is tough no matter what your age. So I really hope again those no. folks out there listening will will get boosted and, and get their shots and let's try to get past it. It initially it's it initially it seemed to be older folks. And I think if you look at the numbers, it's probably the, the fatalities are still older people, but it certainly is across the board. Yeah. yeah. A lot of young people, you know, it's, it's, it's nasty and it's not, it, you know, seems like it's not going anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks for asking. I'm glad to see you. I know it's been a while since we've been together. Yeah, so for sure. Looking forward to a couple of shows. Yeah, man. Uh, glad to see you too. And I guess uh, without further ado, we should bring on our esteemed guest, uh, Miss, Miss Emily Leducer. Emily, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. How are you today? I'm great, and you pronounced it just yeah, fine. Perfect. I'm not going to try and pronounce it, Emily, if you don't mind. I'm just going to call you Emily. Is that cool? <laughs> that is completely nice. fine. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And and it's interesting, you know, listening to your intro, my father had AFib ah. since I was about seven years old. No kidding. And so, um, you know, he had probably three cardioversions throughout my life. Right. And, and many, the ablation, all that stuff you described. So That's wild. I know you're going through it, so good to see you. Well, it's so healthy. it's so funny because my wife actually commented last night, and I really wasn't thinking about this. Um, I, I was um, I, well, I haven't been doing a whole lot of. Uh, we kind of share cooking. I love it. She loves it, but I was making a little something in in the kitchen. And she said, you are in such a better mood. And I was like, what? She goes, man, the weeks before we went up there, you know, I didn't want to say much. but And I probably was because it was reaching a point where it was almost every day. And, you know, it's kind of a nasty affliction when your heart's not working. You know, it's beating erratically. And I thought, well, that's cool. You know, she's not typically doesn't compliment me very much. So (laughs) it was nice to hear her say, hey, you're in a pretty good mood. It was definitely like night and day with my dad, too, after procedures or after they got it back on track, the heart back on track. It's amazing how much it exhausts you right. to just have your heart not functioning properly. Exactly. Properly. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you for that, Emily. No problem. I wish you would. Thank nice. you. And so one of the reasons we brought Emily on, I'm embarrassed to say now we've probably are about 15, 16 shows in. We haven't had a ton of guests, but we have not yet had a female come in and get a good female perspective. So... Man, that's true. Yeah. That wow, that is true. Actually, bad us. Yeah, so wow. Well, you picked the right one. You picked the right one. Uh, so, well, and, and Emily, like we talk about politics, but you've got to really live some politics. So I'm really excited, you know, about hearing, you know, just uh, some of your stories. You were 
uh, a town councilwoman uh, for Berea for uh, how long is that term? Two years. Please. And it felt like in that term, like, uh, I mean, it was just consistently something going on. Now, I would assume your experience wasn't the best or maybe it was. How did how did you feel about your term as far as being a lightning rod to um, just every person that. What do you mean by that? Tristan? What <laughs> me a yeah, what do you mean, Tristan? You got to ex- yeah, no, expand. No, on I that. will explain, Emily. I think you know we're in Central Kentucky in a in a, in a rural, semi-rural town, and you, I would, I don't want to classify you as a liberal unless you classify yourself as a liberal, but you're probably a proud Democrat, and uh, I feel like most of the town, and certainly most of the town council, was on the right side of that, and I feel like you know if there is a microcosm of Congress, like you would have to be AOC, at least with the attention you received, like you just received a lot of attention. Yeah. And it's just sad that it's described as a lightning rod, though, because nothing was really that radical that happened. Right. It was just um, political division. And, yeah, I was the political minority. And I wouldn't necessarily. As a progressive, (laughs) Emily? Yes. Like minority, minority? Did you, how many are on the city council? There's eight. And so out of that eight, six of them are very, very conservative. Well, one is moderately moderate, um, but still, I would say right wing. And then there was John Payne, who is a moderate Dem, I would classify. Right. And I, I don't classify myself as anything. I'm kind of disenchanted with the with the Democratic Party locally and around nationally. The, the, yeah, and and I'm just one of those people where I just look at things logically and critically and with extreme common sense, it. Emily. With extreme <laughs> common sense, yes. yes. And I land where I land based on that, and and it just happens to usually be on the left. And you do more, more right. closely identify um, with being a Democrat. And the, and the only reason I ask is because I think on our last show I was really given a hard time to the Republicans that sort of own every Republican uh, uh, issue, but then try to claim that they're not Republican. I'm just independent, so I, I would. We're libertarian. Yeah, I'm a libertarian, so I don't have oh, to own. Right, in, you right. know, so but you do more closely relate right. to Democrat, right? No, I've been a registered Democrat since I was probably 19. Okay. So, yeah. so, so I'm really interested, Emily. So give us the background. How did you wind up? Uh, uh, I think Tristan told me you're a Berea College grad. I am. So that's what brought me to Berea. In, in the mid-90s, I was part of this TRIO program for academically gifted kids that took a college tour up here. And when I found out that it was free tuition – it ended up being the only college that I applied to once I became a senior in high school. So I came up here in 2000 and graduated in 2004, then went to EKU for grad school. So where was home? Where'd you grow up? Uh, North Carolina. Oh, cool. Western North Carolina. Nice. So Cherokee County, it was, it's the most western most uh, county. Man, and that is beautiful. It's no, it's gorgeous yes. country. Yes, gorgeous. Emily, I was in the most um, western county in Virginia, is where I was raised. Ironically, oh wow, not. and that's probably really close as a bird yeah, fly. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, you know, but all the mountains make it a lot further yeah, distance. But driving, uh, but yeah, so I came here, and then after all that, I. When I graduated, I moved to New York City, and I lived there for eight years. Oh, no kidding. Married. Really? Yeah. Whereabouts? <laughs> I was married. I had two kids. Uh, well, I lived on Long Island. I lived one year in New Jersey, and then most of the time was in Queens. Oh, so, man, I'm going to put you on the spot, Emily. i got to ask you, how would you like Jersey? Be careful. Be it's careful. What would she say? It's the armpit of the U.S. Emily. <laughs> Are you from Jersey? I am. Oh, my I said, God. I knew there was something I didn't like about you. My my family is still there. Did you really not like it? Just I hated it. It was the worst year of my life. All right, we're done. The year what, I, what, who the else year you got I today, Tristan? Bringing in our next No, guest. that's cool. That, that, I mean, that's good to hear, though, because, you know, it takes all – and I will – you know, you'll, you'll meet me and you'll be like, oh, damn, I was wrong about that. They're really wonderful people. Was it the people or was it just the pace of life or – I've met good people from Jersey, so 
don't get me wrong, but it was a combination of how the state, the road system is set up. Yeah. It was how the work environment was. It was the type of students I was working with. It was just, it was, that's where I developed TMJ. So <laughs> I started clenching my teeth at night and that caused me to get TMJ. Well, it's funny, Emily, as Thanks, I said, Jersey. my family is still up there and I've made that drive. I make it less now as I've gotten older, but when I first, I've, so I was 28 years in New Jersey and I'm 31 years here, whatever it is, however that adds up to 61. And, um, I made that trip 50 times you, up through West Virginia. You know, it's a very nice drive. But when I get to about Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then start heading east, you'd start feeling that congestion. Like you cruise up through West Virginia, you hardly even see anybody. You're doing 70 and people are passing you at 85. But when you start heading east out of Harrisburg in southern Pennsylvania, heading towards Jersey, you just sort of feel that northeast congestion. You just feel it. And my brother, love him dearly, and uh, I always say to Trisden, he, he has taught English literature forever, probably the most well-read person I know, but you drive with this dude, and you are just white knuckles holding on to the dashboard, and he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't even realize how aggressive he is. He's like, I'm like, man, do you have to tailgate everybody? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, give this person some space, but he doesn't even realize he's doing it. No, you get back into that mode so quickly, and I'm I'm headed up there with my kids uh, this holiday, so I know that feeling when you, you start feeling that congestion past, you know, if you go to, like, Hagerstown or, or that yeah. area. Yeah, hey, so you don't hate it that bad. You're going back up there. Yeah, oh, no, I'm going to New York. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to New York. Well, New York is, That's yeah, New York's New York. New York I'm is great. In well, that, I'm staying in Hoboken for a that, bit of the time. That's so. really cool. So so then you came back to Berea uh, when? So I got a divorce, and being a single parent of two boys in New York City was very expensive. Yeah. And I felt like they also weren't having the childhood that I had at, with, you know, green grass and space and stuff uh, to roam. So I got a job at my alma mater. That's wild. And moved back here, and I've been back here for like eight years now. So well, good for you, man. That's yeah. really a that that's a full life experience. So you, so you were maybe a slight fish out of water in, on the Berea City Council. I don't know. I, you say so you got to tell us about that. I know Tristan knows more about this than I do. He did use the term lightning rod. Well, here's the thing. Even growing up where I grew up, which is probably uh, I consider the the culture to be similar to Eastern Kentucky, right? Um, I never quite felt like I fit in there either, right. right? Growing up, they always said, oh, you act like a city girl, you know, or, you know. So it's funny to me, depending on where you go, how people respond to your personality. But I think just being a woman who's comfortable expressing her opinions and um, coming in well-prepared and well-spoken, I think, throws some people off sometimes. Absolutely. And I definitely was a fish. I was I – was, I was swimming well in my water. I felt really comfortable. I, I enjoyed the work. So when you asked me what it was like, honestly, there were really high highs and really low lows. And the really high highs were when I could help out the little old lady that wants to get the, a stop sign at the end of her street. Right. Right. The really low lows were the times that I was stalked and harassed. And, and those things did take a toll on me and my family. So it was like extremes, Tell us. and I just always just wanted it to just calm down and let me do the work because I, I do enjoy, while it seems mundane, it's still a helper role, which is you know naturally what. Emily, I am, tell so. us about being stopped and harassed. Yeah, really. So um, I don't know if you all are familiar with the the online group Berea Moderates. Um, no. They're a really what are they called? Berea moderates. Oh, Berea moderates. I thought you said three. Okay, Berea moderates. No, are you, Tris? Somewhat. Just basically from being somewhat. friends with Emily okay. on Facebook, I'm, I'm somewhat well. I got yeah. you. Got you. So they were, it's a group of kind of right-wing nut jobs, uh, really fringe folk, basically, that are in an online group. Um, Yet they call themselves, but they call themselves, by, call ironically, moderate. Berea moderates. Yes, That's they funny. call themselves moderate. That's great. <laughs> um, but, you know, from the time I started campaigning, probably I announced a year in advance because I knew I wanted to pace myself. And um, probably by about six months out from the election, they really started just 
posting about me and screenshots and stuff about me constantly. Um, and that carried throughout my time on council. And it was really nasty stuff, too. It was, you know, talking about my body, talking about what I wore. And then the one thing went viral, right? The leggings event. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll have <laughs> to tell us yeah, more specifically about that for, for folks listening that are out of town. Yeah, so leggings gate is what I call it now. But um, I was giving a, a tour of City Hall to some kids and wearing a nice blouse over some black, very formal leggings. And um, they posted pictures to the city page of the, you know, of these kids showing up. And it was a great, it was really fun. And it was, you know, they were thankful. And um, this group took a screenshot of my picture and was like, a guy commented, and this this particular man had run for city council twice and lost. And uh, he was like, "Why does a big girl think she can wear leggings?" And it kind of it, it's so funny because they make comments like that all the time. But this one, I guess, hit the community differently, and people got really upset about it. And so, especially women, they were like, "Oh hell no, you didn't." You can't yet. Sure. Tristan is unbelievable with it. <laughs> the the community was like, hell no, you're not going to come for her for this. Like, come for her about policy, come for her, whatever, whatever. But you're not going to body shame her and all this stuff. So the community rose up and they created an event, um, hashtag Berea Wears Leggings. And I got tons and tons, hundreds of pictures of people who wore leggings to work the next day. And there were even like construction workers that showed up to the next city council meeting in Lebanon. Oh, wow. This was support. Yeah, it was really, it was heartwarming. But here's the truth about when those things happen. Um, it, it really sucks as the person receiving all that stuff, especially the first 24 hours. And then, you know, I would always get a good night's sleep and then I would wake up the next morning and decide how I wanted to respond. And I didn't respond to everything, right? You can't. But, you know, usually I try to be cheeky about it and whatever, but those things wear on you. And the community gets tired of it, too, over time. And what they were doing was priming the community to just be ready for anything to actually come out negative that was true about me, right? Like, if anything were to... And it put me in such a position where it was like, I don't feel like um, certain people get the same level of, um, grace right? when holding these positions. So I'm a single woman. I've got two mixed race kids and I could feel the difference that it would mean if I were, say, married or if I had a little, you know, white family that looked like the perfect picture. You know, so a little it, bit, it, it, Emily, of kind of the old boy network. And, and I, and I obviously we're not going to name any names, but I assume, um, Though this is done anonymously, you know who these people are. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it is kind of that old yeah. oh, yeah. network, I guess. Well, and, well, there were a lot of people that I didn't know as well that would make like, there was one person that said they could bring an AR to a, oh, a, a peaceful yeah. protest I was at and spray the place up. Great. And, you know, the, the police would follow up on, on these threats. Um, one said they wanted to come beat me up. And when they would go... <sighs> One was like a 90-year-old bedridden man, and another one was a 74-year-old woman in a back brace. But let me ask so, you, you this, know? Emily. So, all right, so leggings, whatever. But, um, yeah. th all right, so that was just kind of a weird thing that happened. But but they're basing this on what? So what kind of positions are you putting forth as you're running that's causing this kind of backlash? Um, so part of the reason why I won the election, if you ask me, um, was because people knew me as a person before they knew me as a candidate. Right. And and at that time, I wasn't necessarily known. So when I was knocking on hundreds of doors, I was not knocking on the door as a Democrat. It's a nonpartisan position. Right. So I was able to talk to people about the issues that mattered to them. But as you know, on social media, you can dig around and find kind of how people feel about things. So as soon as they found out I was a Democrat, it was like I was pegged. It was at the same time that Amy McGrath was running the first time. And 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 they pegged me as a, you know, baby killer right along with her. Gotcha. You know, kind of like I just was thrown into that same camp um, 
whether or not I they they never asked me my policy positions usually. It was more just assumptions. That's funny, that term baby killer, because that's Trisden's big thing. He's, he thinks that um, that is the most successful strategy that Republicans have had, right? The abortion issue, Trisden? Well, it certainly seems like it. Yeah, certainly uh, in rural yeah. America. I mean, because I think right. I think oh, Democrats really? can answer everything pretty good. You know, you can't really justify, uh, you know, raising taxes on middle class and lowering taxes on the rich. But... You know, as long as they can throw that abortion issue out, it's just something that is, you know, that that's their bottom line that, you know, okay, you can win every argument, but I'm still going to vote right because of abortion for sure. But you know what's funny about that? (laughs) Can I geek out for just a minute and and tell you all some science about um, these people that are saying that? I guarantee you many of those women are on birth control of some sort and birth control effectively aborts or terminates a a pregnancy if a fertilization happens like it doesn't just prevent you from ovulating it also effectively terminates a pregnancy and i wonder if they know that (laughs) you know it's like how many well and also emily you know the the thing that i run back to and even my most uh, ardent uh, republican friends if you're having a conversation now they probably wouldn't come on this show and say this but, you know, if they had a daughter or a wife that was raped or molested with an unwanted pregnancy, they would be the first in line, you know, as, as gruesome as that is to think about, to you know, to go, you know, be first in line to get an abortion. Yeah. And and a lot of these men that are making these decisions have <laughs> have mistresses who've had abortions and different things. You know, there's a lot of For that sure. stuff. It, it's not banning abortions is not going to stop abortions and we know that it's just going to prevent safe and healthy women's right, health care right well so, so emily it's amazing i would like to to go back just a little bit you had mentioned uh your kids and sort of how you felt like you were viewed do you feel like you're viewed in a racist and sexist lens i'm sure you have to feel that way a little bit i mean you sort of alluded to it i definitely did and and not that I was suffering racism by proximity or anything like that, but, um, you know, when they start bringing up your children and, and around quotes, calling them brown children and, and specifically talking about that, and you don't see that happening with others, right? You know, it, it causes you pause. So you guys are both Berea College graduates. I'm here, you know, 32, 31, 32 years, but still a visitor in some ways, you know, because my Northeast accent is still prominent. I, there was a time in my life where I got sick of people saying, you know, where are you from? And I'd start saying Pikeville. And they'd say, what? Pikeville? Yeah, Kentucky. No, you ain't from Pikeville. But sorry, but so there is that part of Berea that there's that progressive element that's always associated with the college. So how does that square? Is that just drowned out by the old boys? So I wrote about this, actually, if you don't care for me to take of this interest in. Um, because after I lost my reelection, and, and let's be clear, it wasn't like a landslide loss. It, it was probably 300 votes away from having a seat again. So I still had a strong base. But after, the, after I lost that, people reached out and they were like, well, what, why can't we get more progressives on this council? Right. Like, what, they asked about the college like, and all that stuff. So two things have happened in 2008 uh, during the economic downturn, right? Right. Remember, there was like a little depression in 2008. Berea College offered early retirements and there was a mass exodus Ah. of of kind of some of the the liberal strongholds of the community. Interesting. And then they kind of moved out and moved on. And then the people who came in to replace them. It's the culture of Berea College has changed quite a bit. And I say that as someone who was a student there and then worked there. And um, so that culture of maintaining a a liberal, I'll call it a liberal um, mission, is not as strong with the staff, the faculty and staff. And then on top of that, in 2008, the city of Berea annexed out into the county. So we expanded our city limits further into Madison County. So half the people on council today, including our mayor, would not have been eligible to even run for office prior to 2008 because based on where they live. Well, do you feel like that's interesting? Is that gerrymandering, would you think? 
It's not gerrymandering. So the people in power who did that annexation, they were people that were very level-headed and the, the council was very balanced. So it was the Virgil Burnsides, it was the Glenn Jennings, it was Mayor Connolly, it was Randy Stone that thought that annexing out would help. And it did because we get more property tax that we can collect, right? Um, but and the, and they were also hoping that with the with the expansion of the bypass that we would capture more income and we have but unfortunately the the downside to that is that we're capturing a whole new set of voters that are more conservative than that very tight you know liberal base right around the wow, college makes sense interesting that's my theory. <laughs> nice. So, Emily, we touched on this just a little bit, but, uh, I, I mean, I guess you'd have to live in a hole to feel like that Roe v. Wade is not in jeopardy. I think there's a pretty real chance that, that that's uh, either overturned or bitten into pretty substantially by this summer. What do you think? Well, wait, before Emily answers, can I bounce my theory off her? Because uh, uh, Trizen said this. I, I'm Trizen. I said this to Trizen. He was like, ah. Oh. So here's my theory, Emily. The right has, I'm older than you guys, and but not old enough to remember that decision. I'd have been 12, 13. But I do remember, or not even remember, I am quite aware of how it never went away. I mean, it's soon to be 50 years. And, and really, in some ways, there are people who say that that decision in 73 kind of ignited the modern conservative movement, evangelicals and so forth. The, the de Democrats, the progressives have been pretty much like, ah, it's law, it's going to be fine. My thought is that be careful what you wish for if you're a conservative because the fire that it potentially will light on the grassroots level on the Democratic side could be beyond anything conservatives have ever seen if over, if Roe is overturned. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you're there's going to be some ticked off folks. Yeah, I, I agree with you to an extent. I think had this happened maybe 10 years ago, then it would have ignited a bigger movement. But at this point, I think we're seeing a lot of political exhaustion. Yeah, maybe. And there's been, and, and some desensitization from all these heartbeat bills and all these other, it's always coming up. And it's kind of like, at this point, I don't think people are paying close enough attention and they're not engaged enough to care too much to, to really like put the, Pussy hats back on and and go marching. Yeah, the I, at, least, it, at least not local. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I I think that actually still will be there, but it's really uh, uh, interesting that you choose the word exhaustion because that's another thing that Triz and I have talked about. That was overriding in my vote against President Trump, which was twice. I, I mean, I never would have voted for him, but but if anybody asked me, well, why, you know, the things weren't, the exhaustion, it was just exhausting having that man in there. And I think the most ardent defender of him would say they were tired. It was just, that, that four years seemed like 40, did it not? I mean, every oh my day, God. my God, exhaustion. But this Roe v. Wade issue shows just how much damage one term president can do because his three appointments to the court are the reason why it's in jeopardy right now. And I think Justice Sotomayor made a great point in one of her passionate arguments where she's like, if we're going to overturn something that 12 Supreme Court justices have reaffirmed over the past 50 years, then it suggests that it's the makeup of the court that is the issue. So she's basically calling them out for politicizing something that legally and traditionally you would not touch because it's been reaffirmed so much. If anything, you would expand it. Well, and to Tristan's point about how abortion seemingly overrides everything, which is mind boggling to me because I, I mean, I get that. But to me, I think you should take abortion and guns, set them aside because they're almost intractable. And then let's see what we can agree on. And I don't care if you're talking to Donald Trump, if you and I as you know, you pretty, pretty far progressive, Tristan and I sort of left center, are talking to the most ardent conservative out there. Um, I think you say, take abortion and take guns off the table for now, and let's talk. And, and, and I think you'd probably find some agreement. But it is amazing to me how people justified their vote for Trump 
sometimes reasonable people because of the judges that he would potentially appoint. And in fact, that is what they got. And they kept the right kept that judge issue very much prevalent. It was in the minds of voters. You know, if you vote for Hillary, you're not going to get that Supreme Court justice that tr Trump will give you. They said that all the time and they did it well. I mean, they, I think you're right, but I, I also think, you know, it's such a privileged position to be a single-issue voter. Well, that's right, Emily. That's exactly right. And that's what we don't get on our side, because that's kind of one thing that you consider amongst others. That's a freaking great point. Can I say the other word, Tristan? That is a fantastic, I'll say the other word that begins with F. That is a fantastic point. When you have a single issue that overrides everything, you can really mobilize around that. We Democrats tend to look at things much more broadly. Now that's going to piss off our conservative friends, but you know what? Facts are facts. We tend to be more broad-minded on the left. When you are looking only at that issue and Say what you want about Donnie. We can beat him up all we want, but that man is very, very good at marketing and messaging, and he can l tie right into that energy and make it work for him, as he did. And may again. Well, it is. It's a, it, The left has a marketing and messaging issue, and part of it, too, if you – I remember uh, several years back I looked at the Senate voting um, records, and if you look on the right – they toe the line every time. They can have disagreements. I'm sure they talk in the back room and they disagree with each other. But at the end of the day, they decide this is this is where we're going to go. Well, and they do. And that's even look at the, that's even the more moderates, Emily. Look at Susan Collins up in Maine, who has had had Brett Kavanaugh's assurance that he would not vote against this. And now, like somebody said, lucky for her, she ran in 20 and not 22 because she's full of shit. Because that's not going to happen. Or Kavanaugh just looked at her and lied to her. Right. And and if you look on the on the left, the Democrats in office, their voting records are all over the place. Yep. There's no straight line. And and part of that is that on the left we value critical thinking and we value diverse thought. And so in that vein we never can seem to coalesce around. But see, Emily, if somebody, if exactly. one of our conservative friends hears you say that, what do they say? Oh, that's that elitist from Berea, you know, screw her, she's putting me down. But it doesn't make what you're saying wrong. That's, you know, yeah. I, I've said this, Emily, and I don't know how familiar you were. I was because of my radio background. I wasn't a fan of Limbaugh's, but I listened to him a lot and I marveled at him for two reasons. I worked in radio and it's a very, very tough medium to make money at, medium, and he did it remarkably well. And that's a short list. Um, and the other mm -hmm. thing that I always thought was his genius was he took what, in my opinion, is the undertaking of the brain, liberalism, and the undertaking of the heart is conservatism. The flag and guns and God is, is yeah. the conservative way. And we liberals tend to think, and he conflated them and he made us the emotional people and he made the conservatives, the thinkers. And it was genius on his part, but I think he had it 180 degrees out of phase, but he was very skilled at making his audience think, you know, they're the emo they're fraught with emotion, filled with emotion. They don't use their brains, you know, the libtard and all that. And it, I, I blame him for everything. Well, I, I actually blame him and Oprah. I blame Oprah for the, the, the want of everybody to share the most intimate details of their lives with hundreds of millions and Limbaugh for just up, up in the ante on how freaking negative and terrible our politics have become, where everybody on the other side was a target. They, they, There was nothing about them that you could come to any common ground about. You just had to beat them up. You had to pick on them for their leggings or whatever the hell it was. And now it's just come down full circle with, you know, with Trump. And and as I just said before, I think Tristan, myself, you, I, I am willing to sit with anybody. And the first thing I'd say is, look, guns and abortion, take them off. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about the five things that we can agree on. And you, I think you can find them. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you there. I think the problem is that no one, we take the time because we're interested in these things. But the vast majority of people are not engaging in political discussion on the regular. Yeah. And they're living their lives. And so the same people who think they're thinking through things are watching only Fox News. Right. And Fox News is also really great at just soundbiting, throwing soundbites at you that are repetitive and 
indoctrinating essentially and they would hate to hear me say that but oh they do but, now, their newest is they've got hillary running again now she's going to be running in, in 24 but you know what enough so back to the local uh emily so 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 you did get elected and you credit that to how much you got out in the community and knocked on doors oh absolutely um but also i just had so many community connections um just in different places and then if, if you think of like diverse income streams. It was, I had a diverse portfolio of community engagement. So I would teach yoga at the senior center, or I worked at the college, or, you know, people knew me from several different places. And then when I started knocking on doors, I mean, that's where you win small races is um, you get out there in the community and you, you knock on hundreds of doors. And that's something that none of my um, competitors do. Or did and Emily, let me ask you this. I mean, this is something you've you've you haven't been in office now, certainly for over a year, maybe over two years, even. No, okay. it's just been one year. Like this makes me one. Year okay, so time's completely uh, irrelevant since COVID, and I can't tell anything. So it's been it's been a year. Now, this is something that you know people don't always hear about. You still face hatred and criticism from some of these folks, right? And you've been out of office for a year in a small town, town council seat. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, there, it'll still come up every now and then. Folks will send me uh, or just say, oh, they're talking about you again on that group. They, they, they took a screenshot of your picture and they blah, 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 blah. You know, there's always something happening. And I think it's just... I think COVID exacerbated a lot of this too. And I think COVID is the reason why I wasn't reelected because it took away from me my strongest point, which was meeting people in person and talking to them. And, and because I firmly believe that once you speak to me to my face, you give me a few minutes of your time, it's hard. It, it becomes very hard to hate me then. And, um, and it humanizes me. Well, Trisden and makes so- Trisden makes that point often, Emily. I'm, I'm, I, I shouldn't use my age as an excuse. I, I just, you know, I feel vindicated in a certain way because I never Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Snapchat, and Trisden still admonishes me. I, I do it a little bit because of this, but I just never have. But I feel vindicated in that. It seems like now people are saying, it's a poor shit thing. Nobody should have ever done it. And I know there's the good, and you can stay in touch with family that you're distant from and so forth. But now it looks like, the net of all of it is kind of a negative that at the end of the day, Facebook and all of it has actually not been very, it's been fairly detrimental societally. So I'm going to stand by the fact that I don't do any of it. But Trizden often makes the point that people are much more vicious with the anonymity of attacking somebody online than they'd ever be standing face to face in their doorway talking to you. Oh yeah. Listen, the, the ringleader of that group, she would show up to almost every meeting and never would speak to me, right. never would say anything to my face. She would maybe make a public comment here and there and things like that. But, or if she saw me out, she'd never say any, a word to me. But then online, and especially during COVID, so during COVID, we took our city council meetings to Zoom as well. And I think that all the, it all just compiled to kind of crush my strengths because I couldn't, people didn't have to face me, right? They could say whatever they wanted and they didn't have to look me in the eyes and say it, you know? And and I, and I think that people sit, like Tristan believes, if you, or I believe that supports what Tristan says, I believe if you wouldn't say it sitting across the table from me, you shouldn't be saying it online. So Tristan. But people feel confident to do I that. Agree. Would it be possible to run a political campaign today without Facebook? Could you just say, man, I'm not going on it. I don't care what they say. I'm not even looking at it. I don't think so. Like I kind of do in my day-to-day life. I don't think so. No, I don't think you're. A small yeah. race. A small race, yes, you can. It's what? I A small you race, think so? yes, you can. Yeah. I do. If, if But you have to have the strongest ground game ever. It, it wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be easier, certainly. I mean, it's it would be a lot more work, I would imagine, to, to try to win without a social media presence. Yeah. But you know, Mayor Connolly won all these years without ever using yard signs or wow. social media. How about that? Yeah. So, Emily, what was your tenure? What was your two-year tenure like while you were on there? I mean, aside from these, you know, these jokers with the Berea moderates, how about your fellow council 
persons as you served with them? Um, well, they were quite difficult. Um, anytime I felt like I tried to reach across the aisle, I would get my hand slapped so hard. And it just became, a, it, over time, by the second year, we were just not even faking that we liked each other. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I had a, a fellow city council member tell me I was the rudest woman he'd ever met. And I'm like, for what? I, I've never been mean to you. I don't understand where this is coming from. So, 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 what is the answer to that? I mean, I mean, you touched on, you know, uh, the eight years in New York, which you know, oh wow, this New Yorker, we can't trust her. But wait a minute, I grew up in North I Carolina, whatever. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't talk about. Yeah, it. mixed race kids. The fact that you're a woman, a woman. So, all right, all of that. But I mean, beyond that, just what you represented in so far as your political views went. So some things came up. Okay, we'll start at the beginning. Um, because before I got in office, a thing happened with a city council member where he posted something when the Kavanaugh hearing was happening. He posted a, a meme that was really inappropriate and sexist, and that caused an uproar, and everybody showed up to city council. And what these people did, they scapegoated. They're like, yeah, we need to revisit our ethics code because there's really no um, you know, way we can respond to this. And, and, and then it just like fizzled out, right? So when I got on council, that was my first thing. I said, you all agreed that we needed to revisit ethics code. So I want to make that my first thing. Let's, let's create an ad hoc committee and let's get it done. Cause these, this code hasn't been updated. We have like the most outdated code. And Emily, this case. guy is still on the council while you're proposing that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I got you. Got I got you. And I was like, I was like, this is something they can't argue with me about because they literally all used it. They're like, yeah, I think we need to revisit our ethics code. Well, that became like, they just tried to obstruct every bit of progress related to that. And it, every, every issue that I tried to bring forward, they would fight it tooth and nail until the one somewhat moderate younger male guy would swoop in and then they would suddenly be willing to work on it, you know, with him. So that happened with ethics code. That happened when I brought up the, um, I tried to have a Juneteenth resolution, simply just a, just a resolution for Juneteenth. And it was a back and forth battle for four months until this guy came in and, and suddenly they were willing to compromise, you know, and it was like, Man, it always would take a male voice that they, you know, yeah. wanted to respect. You know, and, and that's what's annoying. It's like, I think me being a woman had greater to do with it, all of the backlash than anything. Right. There's another woman on council, but um, she's conservative, and she effectively never made motions. She never brought forth anything. She was just a placeholder. So, Emily, knowing what you know now and having been through the experience, is there a lot, a little that you would change? Or do you feel like you handled everything exactly the way you, you would have wanted? Or is there anything looking back that you think, I would have tried this or that? Um, so, I've had, a, you know, I've had a year to, I call it heal from what I went through. Um, because it was traumatic, some of it, you know, um feeling like your life might be in jeopardy, people, you know, I had a, a constituent mail a security camera to my house because they were worried for me and my son's lives, and, and I didn't have a security camera. So, Jesus. you know, you know, feeling that feeling and being in the moment, I feel like I, I was true to myself always, but looking back, I wonder if I couldn't have I don't want to say pull back because I wasn't constantly fighting. I was, I was in defense mode most of the time, but I just feel like um, maybe I could have made personal phone calls to my colleagues a little more and maybe tried to reach them on a human level more. Um, but on, at the same time, I don't believe in my heart that that would have made much of a difference. I definitely. You know? So Emily, do you, no, yeah, go ahead. Tracy. Okay. Yeah. I definitely feel like Emily, like this is to me hearing this. I mean, it's, you know, for one, it's sickening. I mean, I think 
you know, to know that politics is at this level, I mean, it really is scary, I think, for the future of politics. And I, I think you do see a lot of this stuff on Facebook and a lot of it's social media based. But, you know, it's a shame when when folks just can't disagree and, and be like, you know, I completely disagree with, you know, either the fact that she's a liberal or he's right wing. But the fact that you had to have security cameras installed and and some of these things, I mean, this is just fascinating. And I don't know that most people know this is the underbelly of local community politics. Well, oh, yeah. And, you know, there's one thing that I would have changed. One thing. There's one thing right at the end when I, I was coming up for re-election that I wish I had spoken publicly about. And it was a police officer who resigned, went online and accused me of harassing and bullying her out of her job. And, and the reason why I didn't respond to that publicly was because I had received an anonymous complaint of child sexual abuse and it contained wow. a video. And I simply forwarded that to her supervisors and said, this is in your hands. I trust you'll investigate and do what you need to do. It's yours. And the chief of police and the mayor proceeded to throw me under the bus and basically told her that I was complaining about her and, and this and that and that, you know, oh, she's going to keep coming for you and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, Wow. And because it involved a minor, I didn't feel like I was following things by the book of the law. Like I was following things to a T. I've responded to this kind of stuff before as, as a, you know, we're all mandated reporters in the state of Kentucky. You have to report these things. And, um, and I, my name should have been kept confidential right. as the reporter. And it wasn't. And so... I never, it, so that got out, and then I think some of the more moderate people who had been supporting me, and and I saw comment after comment after comment after the election, well, had she not picked on that police officer, I mean, I didn't always agree with her, but I respected that she was, you know, prepared, and, and you know, she was honest and upfront. but that police officer, that was the line, you know, because it was on the back of all that back the blue movement and all that stuff that had just happened, and I just wish I had come out and spoken publicly about it to clear my name because some of those people were people that like knew me like in the school and stuff. And they felt like I had harassed them. Wow, really. yeah. What wow. are you supposed to do that, when that, there's an allegation of child sexual abuse? It wasn't, you weren't saying throw this person under the jail, but how could you not ask somebody to investigate uh, yeah. sexual abuse of a minor? Jeez, oh, Pete. Well, and I think what I should have done differently, instead of sending it to her superior, I should have just sent it to DCBS, and then I would have been kept um, anonymous, confidential. They would have never known where it. Had yeah, that's from. so. I was. I thought I was. I was doing a, them a political favor by you know giving it, passing it to them, and letting. Well, them and, and I, I mean that, know, that's that. There's one thing that both parties should be able to agree on. It's that people who sexually abuse children should be deeply punished. If we can't agree on that, I think our, our parties are both in a lot of trouble. Well, but Tristan, you know that the video was out a little bit and I saw the commentary. Um, it, it was taken down every time, but like it was one of those situations where people mm. could argue that it wasn't a big deal. Okay, so... So she's sitting there reading a, a book to a child in some in George of the Jungle and talking about he eats nuts and then reaches into the child's private area and says, huh, like your nuts. And the kid's like, yeah, my nuts. So I know that to be grooming, right? That's grooming a child for sexual abuse. Um, and But you have people who think, oh, that's not a big deal. That was, was it her child? No. I mean, not that that wow. would have necessarily made it right. I was just curious of the context. No, I don't know that there's a situation where somebody that's uh, touching a child's nuts uh, shouldn't be at least forwarded onto superiors or discussed, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. that To me, that sounds like pretty open and shut. Uh, at the very least, should be investigated. What's yeah, well, I think to Emily's point, you're by law supposed to report right. that, right? Yeah, I had to. I had to report it. 
So, and I didn't report it with any judgments made. I just sent it and said, I received this report. You all just out of personal of curiosity, so that is, I, I what, what was that. the relationship of the lady uh, to that kid? Um, she was friends with okay. the parents. And so she was in their home. So at the end of the day, she didn't get charged with anything because the parents didn't want to press charges. And I guess it didn't rise to the level of you know criminal to where the state would have yeah. taken it over. And she saw that as vindication because she right. her name was clear. Right. But and, and I think I mean, too, like so, so I could real see quick, Ray, I think we do give women a benefit of the doubt. And and I you know obviously I think we should. I think uh, the numbers will bear out that most sexual assaults, most sexual abuses are done by men. But you can't, I mean, imagine if that situation was reversed and that was a man touching a little girl's vagina because of a story. I mean, can you even imagine? Right. Right. Of course. Right. So I could see in a small town how that would blow up and that that is kind of a personal and, and, and private thing, you, you know, for you, Emily. But my question was going to be actually before you had had told us that really terrible story. Um, so. You know, you're in this small town in the middle of flyover country, but in a way, do you think the backlash that you got here is pretty much representative of exactly what, you know, uh, Alexandria Cortez and the quote-unquote squad run into at the highest level? So Tristan said, well, yeah, this is kind of indicative of small-town America. I wonder if that's so. I mean, you've got these, I guess, what is it, five, four or five women now, all brown and black-skinned women women being the operative word, and they just get more shit than any other politician. And, and nobody really seems to think there's anything wrong with some of the things that are said about their, their, their gender, their nationality, their religion. They just beat them up all the time. So is that sort of just an extension of what you experienced? It is an extension. Uh, the difference for me, and I don't want to diminish their experience at all, but I think when you're at that level and you have staff that can protect you from seeing everything right. and can you have you have the ability to have a somewhat of a distance, it's going to slap you in the face. You know, AOC has dealt with things directly in the moment that have happened. Right. right. But but in terms of the day to day, like I literally for a while there, I would wake up every morning to screenshots being sent to me like I didn't have an assistant that, you know, filtered through my messages sure. or, you know, things like that. And so I think to that degree, it's a little more doable when you have that distance. And I think they know fewer of the people. Me knowing some of the people saying these things about me really hurt my Well, and too, like you, you right. expect at you the know? highest levels of American politics, you know, people are going to talk and say things with people they disagree with. But I do think it does... To your point, it does hurt a little bit more, I think, when it's just a small town, town council, not to belittle the job they do, but you just like to think it's a little bit like, well, we, we don't agree with, you know, Emily's a little progressive for us, but, you know, to, to hate somebody, or even if that was on the right side, you know, if somebody is, is a big Trump supporter uh, on certain things, like, I, I would completely disagree with them, but why would you take the time to, to send them awful pictures or threaten their life? I mean, look, that's what America's about. We, we all shouldn't always agree. We should disagree, but to go after somebody personally, and not that you can't take care of yourself, obviously, but you, a single mother trying to do town council, like, if you disagree with your politics, fine, but I mean, it hurts my soul to know this is the state of politics, generally. Well, and on top of that, you got to consider I was making 400 bucks a month doing this job right. that I spent. I probably spent 20 to 30 hours a week at least wow. doing that work and making 400. And, and I'm a single parent, right. you know, and I was, I'm still out here struggling financially on top of all that. So that's kind of why we also keep getting the same. These other folks on council, they got all the time in the world. They just show up to the meeting. Like they're not sitting there doing any like hardcore research like I was. They weren't out in the community necessarily, you know, and they're retired CEOs and right. property managers and, you know, landlords. Right. I'm still, I'm still hustling, you know, trying to feed my kids. And then on top of that, you're harassing me every day. And I only get 400 bucks a month out of this. Man. Like, what did I find out I'm like? sure like Drizzen, there's 10 more questions I could think to ask you, but I, I, I get, I'm looking at the clock and, and the time flew by. I, and we say this to every guest and we mean it with sincerity. Could we invite you back at some point? 
Yeah, I would like to get, you know what, I, I would love to, to get Emily in studio. I, I know it's, uh, I think this has been great to be able to do it uh, in short notice and sort of do it with this program. But yeah, I think it uh, definitely adds a bit to, to be in studio and it, it would be fun to, to continue this conversation. Plus, you know, again, we we haven't had a female point of view yet and you can't speak for all women, but it's nice to, to have that for sure. So, and yeah. and so I, Yeah, and I can even, you know, and, and I can get, forgive you your transgressions about New Jersey. <laughs> and so... I'm sorry. So, and, and before we go, uh, guys, <laughs> we're new to a bit new to the podcast game. I think this is episode 18 ish. Uh, we don't have any sponsors yet. And before we hire a sales staff, I want to take a quick break and discuss something in popular culture. Uh, today, I would like to analyze the slogan, Let's Go Brandon. This is a term derived oh. from a NASCAR race in which the crowd was chanting, Fuck Joe Biden, because that's the type of thing people chant at a NASCAR race. A NASCAR announcer said the chant was, let's go, Brandon. And immediately the world's greatest joke was born. Just when you thought, right. just when you thought, thanks, Obama would never be bested, the slogan makers on the right have outdone themselves. So remember, folks, when you want to yell out, fuck Joe Biden, but the PC snowflakes are all around, just tell them, let's go, Brandon. They won't get it. And you'll know you just delivered the world's sickest burn. Yep. I saw a bumper sticker the other day, so it's already out there. Let's go, Brandon. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's everywhere for sure. So, yeah, I th thought I'd have a little fun with that. So, Emily, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. Hopefully Thanks, the next time we have you on, we will actually have a real sponsor there instead of my uh, little joke. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll – I liked you. Thank you. So we, we look forward to having you back real quick. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Ray, I'm glad you're healthy and back. And, uh, folks – Thanks Thank for listening, and uh, it was a, it was a pleasure. Check us out, like, subscribe. Thanks to Troy. Uh, thanks to Stoveleg Media and Nate. Thanks to everybody that's helped out, Emily, uh, all of our guests so far. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. We hope you had fun and look forward to taking on another topic next week. <laughs>